Christchurch, New Malden, 8th of March 2020, 9.30 service. Anna Larkin speaking in the series, Lent 2020, Carbon Fast for Creation, No Time to Waste. So waste, we all know that waste is a problem. This won't be news to anybody here this morning. However, I personally was surprised to learn just how big a problem it is. In 2019, Tear Fund published a report on waste that began with three shocking statistics. Every 30 seconds, the UK throws away two double-decker busloads of plastic waste. That's just plastic waste, not general waste. Every 30 seconds, 30 double-decker busloads of plastic are burned or dumped in developing countries. Lots of that plastic waste has been exported by wealthier countries like the UK. And finally, every 30 seconds, one person dies from diseases caused by mismanaged waste. So these are diseases like diarrhea, malaria, heart disease and cancer. That's up to a million people a year. When our rubbish gets exported to third world countries, it's not just an environmental issue, it's a global justice issue as well. When that rubbish is then burned, producing toxic fumes that contribute to the greenhouse effect and pollute the air that people breathe, causing respiratory diseases and cancer, that's not just an environmental issue, it's a global justice issue as well. When the rubbish is dumped, it slowly decomposes over hundreds of years, never completely disappearing. It leaches pollutants into the soil and collects pools of stagnant water on the surface, creating the perfect breeding ground for malaria and dengue-carrying mosquitoes. It's not just an environmental issue, it's a global justice issue as well. When the runoff from rubbish dumps poisons the water that other people drink, and plastic rubbish blows into rivers and oceans, blocking waterways and drains. It results in illness, flooding and landslides. It's not just an environmental issue, it's a global justice issue as well. In Becky's fantastic talk last week on reducing CO2 emissions, she talked about how the people suffering the most as a consequence of global warming are the people who have done the least to contribute to it. She referred to the passage in Matthew that Kate just read, um, which, which Jesus explained that the greatest commandment, our top priority as Christians, is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind, and to love our neighbor as ourself. At this time of climate crisis, we can demonstrate our love for both God and our neighbors by caring for creation in every way we can. We can engage our hearts, souls, and minds in doing whatever we can to mitigate the damage inflicted on our planet by the waste that we produce, and at the same time ease the suffering and hardship experienced by our global neighbors who have done the least to cause this crisis, but are the ones living and dying with its consequences. So what can we do about it? As I was researching this issue, it struck me that the best place to start was to try and find out where it's all gone wrong. Why has waste become such a big issue? So I went back to the beginning, back to the very beginning. When God created the world, right at the center of his plan for creation is the idea of a circular economy, sometimes also called a restorative economy. 
God created a world in which nothing goes to waste and everything is useful and valuable. When any living thing, from humans and animals, through plants, right down to microscopic organisms, comes to the end of its life, it provides nutrients for another part of the system. God created our earth to be, in effect, a perfect recycling system. Everything is used and nothing is wasted. But when we look at the way that we live at the moment, the world that we've effectively created for ourselves, it's a largely linear system. We take from the world to make a product that we will use and then dispose of. The vast majority of the things that we buy in the shops, the things that we fill our homes with, fit this model. We buy a gadget or an item of clothing or a toy, we use it for a while, and then when it breaks or it wears out or something better comes along, we throw it away. When this happens, all of the resources that went into making the product, the energy, materials, water, are lost. In contrast, a circular system, one modeled on the world that God created, is designed to be restorative, using the Earth's resources carefully, respectfully, and efficiently and finding value and worth in the products throughout their lifestyles. I found this image which illustrates it really well. As you can see, in a linear economy, things end up straight in the bin. Single-use, non-recyclable plastics are a great example of this. The world's resources are used to create a product that is designed to be used just once and then thrown away, existing for hundreds and hundreds of years as it breaks down into smaller and smaller pieces that seemingly never quite disappear altogether. In a recycling economy, that's the one in the middle, things are created, but they stick around for a bit longer, going round and round for a while before they also eventually end up in the bin. It's worth remembering that even things like paper, which are easy to recycle, can't be recycled indefinitely. Paper is made up of long fibres, and every time it's recycled, those fibres get shorter and shorter, which makes it harder to be recycled the next time. So printer paper, for example, can be recycled on average about, um, about seven times before it's no longer any use. And finally, in a circular economy, products go around forever and ever. Nothing ends up in the bin. It's really, really difficult to make products work like this, it's a huge area of research at the moment, and some huge steps have been made in the right direction. So this is the way that things are hopefully heading, but it will be a long time before we're able to live like that on a daily basis. So this, I think, is the key to how we need to tackle waste. We're not God, so we are never going to create a totally perfect system, although it's definitely something worth aiming for. But using the model of creation as an example of the best possible way to live and to interact with the world around us is a brilliant place to start. So what are the practical things that we can do about it? I'm sure we've all heard of the three R's, reduce, reuse, recycle. As people have become more aware of the climate emergency, more R's have been added to this list. The number varies depending on where you look. So I've scoured the internet for you, compiled a big list of ours, and then whittled it down to my favorites. There are dozens to choose from, but I've settled on seven. So here they are. My seven R's to tackle waste and save the planet. Refuse, reduce, reuse, 
repair, repurpose, recycle, and rethink. Don't worry, I'm not gonna keep you here all day. I've separated them into three groups that go together. So the first group is refuse and reduce. Then the second one is reuse, repair, and repurpose. And then finally, recycle and rethink. And these, I suggest, are the key values that underpin a Christian response to the problem of waste. So step one, refuse and reduce. This sounds easy enough, but our society just isn't even remotely geared up for this kind of lifestyle. It hasn't always been the case, though, which suggests that change is possible. During the Second World War, the British Ministry of Information issued a pamphlet called Make Do and Mend. I think it came out in 1943. It was intended to provide housewives with useful tips on how to be both thrifty and stylish in times of harsh rationing. It advised people on how to create pretty decorative patches to cover holes in old garments, how to unpick old jumpers to re-knit them into trendy new alternatives, and how to turn men's clothing into women's. There are, of course, lots of people who remember these times and who are a mine of information when it comes to making the most of what you have. I've seen this modelled by my grandparents. Their generation has a huge amount to teach us in the area of reducing our waste. Sadly, it was immediately after the Second World War that consumerism, a culture in which the primary activity and focus is consuming things rather than producing them, kicked in as a way to reboot the struggling economy. In America, in particular, factories that had been producing weapons suddenly lay idle and soldiers were returning from war with no jobs to go to. So economists decided that the best way to revive economic activity was to create a culture in which people were encouraged to accumulate and show off material wealth. And this was when advertising really kicked off as well. So that physical possessions became markers of status in society basically turning what we have into who we are. The economist Victor Lebeau said in 1955, our enormously productive economy demands that we make consumption our way of life, that we convert the buying and use of goods into rituals, that we seek our spiritual satisfaction and our ego satisfaction in consumption. We need things consumed, burned up, worn out, replaced and discarded at an ever-increasing rate. Well, it looks like he succeeded. Essentially, we've become a consumerist society, constantly wanting more, more, more from a finite planet that is struggling to keep up with our demands, and the effects of this are devastating. Ruth Valerio, in her book, Elle is for Lifestyle, says this. Consumerism affects our faith and the danger for us is that we develop a compartmentalised Christianity that makes no connection between our faith on a Sunday morning and how we spend our money the rest of the week. She goes on to quote Tom Wright, who warns about a faith that becomes focused on me and my survival, my sense of God, my spirituality, rather than outwards on God and on God's world that still needs the kingdom message so badly. <coughs> As I've already mentioned, it's not just an environmental issue, it's a justice issue. The waste generated by our out-of-control consumerism plays a significant role in keeping people living in poverty in other parts of the world. Slavery, sweatshops, inhumane working conditions, 
All of these are intrinsically linked by our demand to buy more and to pay less for it. The Bible encourages us to be content with what we have and warns us against jealousy. It tells us that our sense of security should ultimately come from our faith in God's care and provision for us and not from the things that money can buy. Romans 12 tells us that the best way to live is not to copy the behaviour and customs of this world, but to let God transform us into new people by changing the way that we think. And part of this transformation can come from a commitment to refuse and reduce. We can refuse as much as possible to buy things that contribute to a wasteful economy. We can refuse plastic straws or disposable coffee cups or takeaway containers by taking our own reusable ones. We can reduce waste by buying secondhand, by looking for products made from recycled or organic material, and perhaps even asking ourselves whether we really need to buy that product or whether we could perhaps borrow or swap or share with someone else or even do without it altogether. And when we do decide that buying something is the right decision for us, let's commit to investing wisely in a good quality product that will last and taking proper care of it so that we can use it for as long as possible. So that brings us to our next three R's. Reuse, repair and repurpose. Single-use plastic seems to have become public enemy number one and for very good reason. Images like this one of a tiny seahorse drifting through the ocean with its tail wrapped around a cotton bud have really brought home to us the reality that an item that we use just once, in some cases just for a few seconds, goes on to exist for hundreds and hundreds of years and can have catastrophic effects on wildlife and the environment. But single-use items are often only as disposable as we allow them to be. Obviously, there are some things that would be unsafe to use more than once, but the vast majority of things can be reused if we adopt a more mindful attitude towards our waste. I'm sure we have all, at some time or another, bought a, plastic drink, a drink in a plastic bottle that we later went on to refill with water. The bottle was designed to be single-use, to package the drink inside that was the real product and then be thrown away. But there's no reason at all why it couldn't be reused indefinitely until it's no longer fit for purpose. Plastic takeaway boxes are similar. We all have a few of these tucked away in a cupboard at home. But for some reason, we're not as likely to reuse plastic tubs like the ones that ice cream or butter come in. Why is that? They're just as effective at storing leftovers and could still be reused several times before being sent for recycling. And of course, it's not just plastic that can be reused. Glass jars, although easily recyclable, can be reused for years. They are airtight and watertight, and glass is safe to use in the microwave, dishwasher and freezer, which makes them great for storing leftovers. As I've been paying more attention to the things I throw away, especially non-recyclable things, I've set myself the challenge of seeing whether I can find a way to reuse something at least once before it goes in the bin. It wasn't actually as hard as I expected it to be. I know lots of people who save food packaging to reuse in children's play kitchens. That's a great place to start. We have a mountain of bath toys at home, but these have been the firm favourites in our house for the last couple of months. A plastic scoop that came with stain remover, but was never used. A little plastic jug that I think was supposed to be for adding rinse aid to the dishwasher, but again, we never used it. 
a cowpole syringe that has been used so many times that the markings have rubbed off, and a straw for blowing bubbles. None of these is suitable for curbside recycling, and all of them could so easily have ended up in landfill, some of them not, never even having been used. And they might still end up in landfill eventually, but for now, they've been given a new lease of life. Even if you can't come up with a way to make something useful yourself, you may be able to pass it on. Lots of schools and children's groups collect things for junk modelling, and packaging from parcels and other deliveries can also be reused. You might have a friend who runs a business from home, or your own workplace may have a scheme for reusing packing materials. And if they don't, why not suggest it? There are all sorts of ways that things can be reused and repurposed if we just change our mindset and redefine what we mean by rubbish. Another big way of reducing waste is by repairing things. My grandparents love to talk about how they don't make things like they used to, and sadly this is true. Things can be produced so cheaply, at least in monetary terms, not in terms of how much they cost the planet, that we'd rather spend less on something and then get rid of it or replace it when it's no longer fit for purpose. How many of us would think about repairing seemingly cheap items like toasters, kettles, hair dryers? We tell ourselves that compared with the cost of buying a new one, it's not worth our time, or it's not worth the cost of the replacement part, or it's just simply quicker and easier and we just want to get it over with. We don't often think of this as waste, but it is. The examples I've given here are small appliances, but actually it's true of all sorts of things. The clothing industry, for instance, is a huge problem when it comes to waste. Every year, we buy and sell two billion t-shirts globally. It can take 2,700 litres of water to grow the cotton needed to produce a single t-shirt, and cotton uses more insecticides and pesticides than any other crop in the world. The journey cotton makes from farms, through mills and factories and warehouses, to the shop where we eventually buy the final product can cover around 20,000 miles. Cotton has an enormous carbon footprint. Clothing production accounts for 10% of global carbon emissions, and this is escalating. As production becomes cheaper and cheaper, the demand is increasing. You might have heard people talking about fast fashion. Between 1994 and 2004, worldwide clothing production increased by 400% to 80 billion garments per year. So when we go into a shop and we see a t-shirt being sold for a few pounds, this doesn't even come close to representing its true cost to the environment, to the health of the workers who produced it, not to mention the questionable labour practices along the way. Fashion is now the world's second biggest polluter after oil. And it's also worth remembering that paying more for a t-shirt doesn't necessarily make a difference. It might simply mean that the brand's shareholders are making more of a profit. When we recognise the true worth, or rather the true cost, of the appliances, textiles and other products in our homes, it makes reusing, repairing and repurposing things seem so much more worthwhile. And it's perhaps a reminder to take proper care of the things that we have. So we've talked about refusing and reducing. We've covered reusing, repurposing and repairing. So that brings us to our last pair of R's, 
recycle and rethink. Recycling is fantastic, but it's not enough. The waste coming out of our houses is just the tip of the iceberg. For every one wheelie bin full of household rubbish, there are 70 more wheelie bins worth of rubbish higher up the production stream just to make all of those products in the first place. In the UK, we're doing really well, and currently we recycle just under half of our household rubbish on average. This is brilliant, and it's definitely something to be proud of, but as we can see, that's still not making much a dent in the overall waste produced. Lots of us will have been aware over the last year or two of journalists and filmmakers uncovering the truth of what happens to a lot of our plastic recycling. Documentaries like the BBC's War on Plastic exposed the fact that 665,000 tonnes of our plastic recycling is being exported every year to countries in some of the poorest parts of the world where unlicensed processing plants dump mountains of imported waste with no intention of recycling it and leave it to slowly break down, releasing microplastics into the air, the ground and the water system. Sometimes it's burnt or set on fire, releasing billows of toxic fumes. And some of this is our waste, our yoghurt pots and our plastic tubs that we've separated from our general rubbish with the best of intentions. It's not our fault that our waste sometimes isn't being recycled, but once we know about it, I think we have a duty to try and make it right. Fortunately, as it's become more public, there has been more pressure put on manufacturers and government officials to make sure that our waste is being recycled responsibly. However, I think this makes it clearer than ever that recycling, although a brilliant process, is perhaps not the solution we think it is. It's an imperfect and non-ideal partial solution to a huge problem. Recycling is a good thing to do, but we should really be seeing it as a last resort when it comes to waste management. It should be our last port of call, once we've already exhausted all of our options for refusing, reducing, reusing, repurposing and repairing the item. When we do recycle, let's make sure we do it as efficiently as possible. There are over 400 councils in the UK, and between them they have 39 different sets of rules for recycling. In addition to this, as councils invest in their recycling schemes, more options have become available, which means that the rules are constantly changing. So let's make sure that we're completely up to date with our local council's guidelines. If you live in Kingston, you can pick up some information from the eco stand in the lounge after the service. It's also worth remembering that just because something isn't suitable for curbside recycling, that doesn't mean it has to end up in landfill. Plastic bags, for instance, are collected by lots of larger supermarkets. TerraCycle have drop-off points for a huge range of different products to be recycled. Things like toothbrushes and toothpaste tubes, baby food pouches, cosmetics, biscuit packets. You can recycle crisp packets and coffee pods at New Malden Fire Station. Some Marks and Spencer stores, like the one in Tolworth, have started collecting non-recyclable plastic. They'll take any plastic that the council can't collect for recycling. So that's things like plastic wrappers, plastic films from ready meal trays, um, hard black plastics. And they send it all to a company who will turn it into playground equipment. But finally, we need to rethink to assess the rubbish that we're producing and to address areas of our lives that we may be able to improve on. 
As you arrived at church this morning, you'll have been handed a campaign card. Lots of you will have seen that Waitrose recently trialled an unpacked section in four of their branches, where people had the option of taking their own bags and containers from home to buy things like rice, pasta, cereal, cleaning products, even beer and wine. The trial has been so successful that they've decided to extend it for a while longer. As part of our carbon fast for creation here at Christchurch, we would like to petition our local branch of Waitrose on the high street to consider offering unpackaged products to our local community. If that's something you feel you could get on board with, then please fill in your details on the card and pop it into the basket on your way out of church and we'll deliver them to Waitrose. If you happen to be visiting the shop during the next few weeks, perhaps even consider speaking to a member of staff about it as well. If we can demonstrate that there's a demand for it, then they might just listen. As I mentioned earlier, waste management and poverty are intrinsically linked. If we could reduce the amount of waste being produced by supporting alternative, more sustainable products, businesses in wealthier parts of the world will invest time and money into reducing waste and its damaging impact on the planet, which will improve the lives of everyone, including those in the poorest parts of the world. It's been said that every purchase we make is a vote for the kind of world that we want to live in. As Christians who have been tasked with caring for creation, loving God and loving our neighbours, let's make sure that our spending is aligned with our values. There are literally hundreds of simple sustainable swaps that can be made to suit all lifestyles, all budgets and all ages. If we can change our habits and values as individuals, businesses will change their tactics. And if businesses change, global institutions and governments will follow suit. At a time when the whole world is looking for a strong lead in how to tackle this crisis, let's not be left behind.